Come on in, sit back, relax, and listen to episode 149 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. Our topic for this month is ESG data. We chose this topic because we felt it was an area that's a very hot industry trend, wasn't getting a lot of coverage in the media, and we wanted to know more about basically how the sausage is made in the back end, which is what we like to do. Uh, I met today's guest, Lydia Laurie from Clarity.ai at the T3 conference in Dallas back in May. We spoke for a while about their platform, methodology for handling ESG data, and their focus on transparency and how advisors are using their system to build portfolios that they believe are better aligned with their clients' values. But before I get into any of that, allow me to first expound on how important data is to the success of any ESG initiative or other technology-driven programs for that matter. And this is why Ezra Group launched our data assessment service for enterprise wealth management firms. In it, we conduct an in-depth review of all of your data sources, all of your downstream consumers, your data utilization, your data infrastructure for any particular target area of your firm. We then deliver a comprehensive strategy working with your data teams, your tech teams, and a roadmap to get your data architecture under control. For more information on Ezra Group's data assessment service, please go to EzraGroupLLC.com. All right, a couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now let's kick this thing off. All right, I'm happy to introduce our two guests for this episode are both from uh, the firm Clarity AI. The first is Lydia Laurie, who is strategy manager for Clarity AI. Hey, Lydia. Hi, thanks for having me. And her co-guest for this episode is Ron Potok, head of data science for Clarity AI. What's up, Ron? Hello, good to see you. It is good to see both of you guys. I'm glad you can make it. I'm glad we've managed to coordinate this. This uh, episode, um, happy you're here. We, we came out of the T3 conference when Lydia and I met, and uh, this seemed like a great, we had a great conversation um, at T3 uh, over beers at the party. That was fun, and we learned a lot more about uh, what you guys do. And I thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast to talk more about uh, the technology behind Clarity AI and what you guys are doing. So let's kick it off. Could you please give us, Lydia, the 30-second elevator pitch for Clarity AI? Okay, sure. I'll give it from my viewpoint coming from the wealth management industry. Um, so if you think about sustainability, it's complex, and there are a lot of ways to approach it. So the core mission of Clarity AI is a, a sustainability technology platform that enables transparency. So instead of just a score, our main goal is to allow our users across different types to be able to configure solutions for making sustainability decisions better. And Ron will definitely jump into a little bit more about how we do that from the, the data side as well as the methodology side. And that's why Ron is here. That's why I like that you have two people. So it's, you can bounce things around. Whoever's strongest can take that particular part of it. So we're, you talked about, uh, you mentioned you're a sustainability data company. Can you explain what that means in, in, and why you're actually more than just a sustainable data company? 
Yes. So I would say beyond data, it's also about the expertise of sustainability. So we have humans in the loop across the process, but I would say one of the most interesting is the way that we apply that methodology to our very broad, deep coverage set of data. So from that standpoint, you can use that data, but also solve a lot of different questions and needs for our clients, whether you're an asset manager trying to confirm a mandate for a particular fund that you're using, or whether you're an investor trying to understand the underlying impact your portfolio is making. So that's that's what I mean beyond data. We're actually taking sustainability expertise and providing it in a way that's transparent and usable uh, across different technology uh, integrations, whether it's a web app, an API, or a widget. That's excellent. And transparency is super important, especially when it comes to, well, it becomes any kind of data. But we were talking earlier about um, some of the issues around specifically ESG data. So why is ESG data so difficult to access? Uh, sure, I can try to uh, handle that. Um, so ESG data is part of this big uh, alternative financial data ecosystem, right? Uh, and with ESG data in particular, um, we know that it suffers from a lot of similar problems and other alternative data sources, lack of standardization. It tends to be unstructured in nature. Uh, data either exists in company or tends to exist in company reports or in news sources, various other unstructured layers. And so that's part of the value we give is pulling all of that data together uh, in an objective manner, uh, normalizing it and standardizing it so you can compare apples to apples rather than apples to oranges. And part of the, uh, part of the way in we, which we do that is efficiently using AI. Uh, and so we, that allows us to uh, gather data objectively, efficiently, uh, and then combine it together so that we can have uh, an accurate sustainability database so that we can move it down the line into sustainability frameworks and finally display to you uh, so that we, you can understand uh, what sustainability means uh, with respect to the various companies in our universe. Can you explain what is a sustainability framework? Sure. Um, so uh, sustainability data uh, uh, right now is tends to be um, uh, defined in both environmental and social means. And so, uh, and so environmental, you might think of the amount of CO2 scope one emissions or the amount of CO2 scope two emissions or the amount of water waste tends to be quantitative in nature and measured in tons or something like that. Uh, sustainability framework allows you to add carbon emissions to uh, other uh, more social metrics like, uh, or I mean quantitative or other environmental metrics like water waste or uh, to social metrics like uh, gender diversity of your workforce. Is there a gender pay gap? Um, uh, do you have bribery and corruption? Uh, are you violating bribery and corruption standards? Those kind, that's what a sustainability framework allows you to do is to aggregate that different type of information into a single number. And one thing we try to do is provide you with different frameworks and then customizability within those frameworks. Yeah. And, and I'll add another anecdote on that. So if you think in the financial world, imagine if everyone decided what to report to the SEC. It'd be really hard as a financial analyst to compare apples to apples. 
So although there is not one global standard, there are a few really important frameworks that are not only popular, let's use the United Nations as one, but what makes them even more important is when governments regulate off of those frameworks. So all of a sudden there's a lot more data coverage on those metrics. And now we can actually compare on who's doing a better job versus a worse job. That's back to the standardization of data, which you guys have to do now because there isn't any government framework around that. Yeah, there are starting to be uh, in Europe, especially, but you're right. Uh, there are no, uh, there are no strong regulations right now. And we have all this data coming into your systems, into your frameworks from many, many data sources. How many sources would you say you collect data from? Uh, so we have over, so in terms of uh, data providers, we have um, uh, over 80 different data providers that we purchase data from. And then we also have uh, news sources. So we collect over 100,000 news articles a day uh, that allow us to analyze whether companies are behaving according to global norms. Um, and simultaneously, we collect uh, a, a lot of the data from company published reports. So from uh, company websites, et cetera, collecting data uh, from there. Because as you know, today, a lot of uh, sustainability data is self-reported sustainability data. Um, we're, si we're simultaneously um, getting into um, additional third-party measurements. So that's another, uh, there are uh, many different technologies coming online today that allow kind of third parties to measure uh, emissions, et cetera, from, uh, from various companies. Uh, you can think of satellites, uh, new technologies like that that are becoming available that allow us to uh, deeper enrich in and increase the accuracy of the data that we have and can provide. So with all this data coming in, how is Clarity, uh, Clarity AI aggregating all this disparate data? Uh, so it starts uh, from the beginning at, at kind of objective collection. And so we attempt, uh, so we use AI. Uh, AI has some benefits in terms of data collection. Uh, uh, it, um, it allows us to scale to over 30,000 companies very easily. Uh, as you know, computers are much more scalable than people uh, and computers are very good at reading today. Uh, and, and so we leverage that technology in order to um, uh, ex greatly expand our coverage uh, and provide objective analysis. Uh, so when a computer reads an article, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, when it reads, you know, the headline of New York Times and it says Facebook, we automatically, as people, we automatically assume this must be another data rights or fake news uh, uh, or other um, uh, uh, controversy. Uh, a computer doesn't naturally assume that. Uh, and so that's a, that's a benefit of using computers uh, is they can be objective and then apply the same rules over and over again. Uh, that leads to standardization in a lot of ways. Uh, we also care for normalizing units and things, things that uh, you know, other companies can struggle with, right? Uh, normalizing the units, making sure we're comparing apples to apples, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, and that allows us to bring in uh, bring into a normalized, standardized sustainability database that then allow us to apply these sustainability frameworks, uh, like Lydia mentioned, in order to really compare companies together uh, uh, on a sustainability um, uh, uh, in a in a, uh, on the sustainability axis. 
And I think that, that's an important, like, uh, we, we are experts in sustainability. And I just say we are, um, uh, we integrate with others like Aladdin in order to provide that financial uh, expertise. So right. that then you can combine sustainability with finance. But, but Ron, isn't it true that an algorithm can only be as objective as the programmers who are writing it? So if the programmers who are writing it are not objective or they have biases that they don't yep. want to admit to, then those biases can creep into the code. It, that, that is very true. And so that's something we actually noticed in our AI algorithms. Uh, so we leverage latest technologies. And as you may know, uh, there's been breakthroughs in NLP, um, both. Uh, so we're actually leveraging um, uh, Facebook's Roberta model. Uh, what we noticed is, uh, is that actually um, Facebook is in the vocabulary of the Roberta model. Uh, and we noticed that when it read an article, uh, uh, when it read the word Facebook, it actually associated uh, data privacy with it, uh, controversies with it, because it had been trained on the corpus of news over the last 10 years. Uh, and guess what, uh, you know, like that, it, it associated. Uh, so mistakenly, Facebook has associated itself uh, in its model. Uh, so what we do is we protect against that. So what we do is we actually um, use a program prior to that to mask all the company names. So when a when a when the computer that's analyzing the article gets the article, uh, instead of seeing Facebook, it sees company, the word company. So it doesn't know. So we, you're right. Uh, there is uh, subjectivity. Uh, there is always some form of subjectivity, but it's much easier for us to try to undo what we know about. And that's just a case of, of us trying to uh, undo what Facebook mistakenly did. Sure, now, that's, a, that's an excellent example. Going back to talk, uh, your, how, you do, how you aggregate the disparate data from, from 80 or more data providers and 100,000 news articles and the published company reports. When you're doing that, you said it's very, it's very flexible and very customizable um, in terms of the frameworks that companies can then use your data. And you said you built a number of default configurations. So can you talk about those and, and why I'd pick one over the other? Sure. Um, so, uh, so there are um, several different popular frameworks. Uh, one, one such framework, the most popular uh, today is ESG risk. And what that is, is the financial risk. And this one has been become popular this week with Elon, or last week with Elon Musk's tweets about uh, ESG risk and MSCI ESG risk. Uh, what ESG risk is, is the financial risk associated with your company uh, uh, according to these uh, environmental, social, and governance um, keys. Uh, that, um, the standard way to, report that risk, score that risk is best in class. And so you're comparing uh, car companies against other car companies and ranking zero to 100 or one to 100 typically. Um, uh, other frameworks may not use best in industry, right? They may use best in universe. And so that's actually uh, a different choice. So you can customize and decide to use best in universe. And in that case, you know, Tesla, uh, even though, uh, you know, even though Tesla suffers from some controversies, you know, in the news associated with the way it treats its employees, um, uh, it can rank better because it's not comparing against other just other car companies. That's how like Exxon or oil companies, there still has to be a best in class in oil companies, right? 
they, you can't penalize them all because you're comparing against other oil companies only. There are different frameworks. Uh, and so we leverage, uh, like Lydia was mentioning earlier, instead of ESG risk, we also offer frameworks like um, uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals. With our UN Sustainable Development Goals, we don't use a best in class, best in industry framework. We actually use a best in universe framework. And so this will more fairly compare, if you do think that uh, uh, different industries should be penalized differently because they affect the world differently, um, uh, this will uh, appropriately penalize those industries, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And what I'll add one thing there too that I, that I think is an interesting example also around data is that in our web app, you can actually choose the threshold of data relevance you want. So let's say we don't have coverage on enough coverage up to 30% on specific, um, specific metrics. You can exclude that from your analysis, for instance. So there, there are ways that we can customize that framework based, based on your needs. I like that because there's so many data points we're talking about. And I know, um, for example, MSCI, which you just mentioned, has I think 35 or 45 data points that they use when they're ranking public companies. How many data points do you guys use? Uh, so that is again, customizable, um, but uh, our default, and so this is for ESG risk, which is, you know, like each framework has its number of, of metrics that we take into account. I believe with the UNS Sustainable Development Goals, I believe we have around 40. Uh, for the ESG risk, which is similar to MSCI's um, uh, ESG risk, um, um, uh, it's around 120. It depends on the industry, but we have about 120 that we, uh, 120 different metrics that we have for day. So 120 different metrics. Yes. So how do you avoid compiling errors? Because if each metric is measured in what could be in a, a subjective fashion, because some of them are very subjective measurements, and then each measurement has some sort of margin of error, won't they just compile on top of each other? So now you have 120 times as much error? What, one thing that you get aided by is these metrics are pretty independent of each other. So an error in one doesn't necessarily add to an error, what we call as uncorrelated data. Um, the fact that we're adding social metrics, they may be very limited correlation with those social metrics to, and that's what we actually find, um, uh, that social metrics tend to be fairly uncorrelated with environmental metrics. And so uh, you actually get a, uh, you don't get um, a standard kind of compiling, adding, adding errors together, you get a little protection, but that doesn't mean that there isn't errors in the data and we're constantly working on the accurate, what we call the accuracy of our data, constantly refining our methodologies and refining our data, uh, refining our models so that we can uh, present the closest to apples to apples we can. Yeah. And, and Ron, on that point, I also want to want to highlight the number of people we have working on the data teams. So at Clarity, we're around 250 people. I was clicking through our HR uh, HR internal system, just adding up all the numbers. There are over a hundred people on the data teams alone. So even if you think about our our tech experts that are sitting in product management, that's even an entire separate area than the folks only focus on this process that Ron just went over. So I think that's mm -hmm. that's an important uh, piece to credentialize. Excellent. 
it's good to know there are people working behind the scenes yep. to keep the data moving. And really, it, it moves towards our mission is to provide sustainability information to the markets, and information is only as valuable as people trust it. And that's really something that we want to gain in the market is trust that our data uh, is uh, is backed by like by documents, by like by uh, a source of truth, uh, and you can see that transparency, uh, and and you can see where the data is coming from. So uh, so we're trying to gain that trust that this information you can leverage this information to make better decisions, uh, sustainably uh, sustainable decisions. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about. Our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is running the Invest in Others Awards, which is a program that recognizes the charitable work of financial advisors in communities across the country and around the world. Awards are presented at their signature event, the annual Invest in Others Awards Gala. Over 600 advisors and financial services executives attend this premier event to celebrate those individuals that actively give back to their communities. I've gone to I think the last three award galas, they had to cancel it for COVID and then they canceled it again last year, uh, 2021. Uh, it was normally in September, October timeframe, but hopefully we'll have it again this year. So there are five categories of awards that recognize, uh, recognize the distinct ways that advisors have made a difference through their work with a nonprofit. So the nominations deadline is April 1st. That's less than a month. Just go to investinothers.org and you can click on the nominate, uh, click here to nominate link and nominate an advisor. Um, if they win in one of the five categories, which are Catalyst Award, Community Service Award, Volunteer of the Year Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, and Emerging Impact Award, they can win, let's say, finalists in all categories receive $25,000 for their charity. The winners in the Catalyst Community Service Next Gen and Volunteer of the Year categories receive $50,000. The advisor who receives the Lifetime Achievement Award receives $75,000. That's a lot of money for a charity, can really help. I've uh, been lucky enough to be on the, the nominated committee, the, no, the awards committee, the judging committee for a bunch of these different awards. It's really hard. These advisors do some great work, both local communities in the US in South America, in Central America, in Africa, in Asia, across the world, uh, and right here at home. All kinds of great uh, stories, great charities that help people of all uh, ages, shapes, and sizes. You should uh, uh, nominate someone and also donate. Your company will probably match your donation, which provides twice the benefit. Please go to investinothers.org. Thanks. There are three measurements we were talking about um, around your company's data. One was data sources, one was coverage, one was estimation models. How do you measure coverage and what, how wide is your coverage? Uh, sure, so uh, we mainly speak in coverage uh, in terms of public, uh, public companies. Uh, and so we have uh, coverage of uh, over 40,000 publicly traded companies in uh, many different exchanges around the world and continually increasing there. Um, so that's, that's uh, 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 how we attempt to provide the broadest range of coverage uh, to the marketplace. Now, um, we also 
um, are beginning to integrate more closely with Aladdin and eFront in order to provide uh, coverage to private markets as well. So that's another exciting uh, extension of our work in order to provide uh, indications of uh, what would, uh, how would private companies perform if they were to, uh, to move into the public markets. Ryan, jumping ahead, you didn't give me a chance to ask you a question about all that. I'm sorry. I know. Well, before, before I even let you jump ahead, I'll add that something that Clarity AI does differently is not only do we have the coverage of the underlying securities, but we actually look through funds. So if you look at our 40,000 coverage of securities, that actually rolls up to us providing the same data on 220,000 funds. So I think that's also an important concept for the wealth management audience as they think about what their clients and advisors are using to manage assets today. That is important. And can we dive a little bit more into the technology? So you've mentioned NLP a number of times, Ron. What is the underlying tech you guys are using for your NLP processing? Um, sure. So uh, earlier I mentioned that uh, there's been great advances in the last five years. Um, Google started with the BERT transformer models. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that uh, we, we tend to leverage Roberta, uh, Facebook's, uh, but we have also um, been working with uh, OpenAI on GPT-3. Uh, so kind of the latest and greatest transformer models are, are what we're applying in production every day. So we have these models reading hundreds of thousands of documents, uh, uh, um, uh, news articles every day. That's excellent. And this enables you to consume unstructured data like news articles and company reports. Exactly. But what are some of the difficulties you've run in when it comes to uh, analyzing this kind of data? Uh, so the I think that, so. There are technology challenges with um, with applying deep deep learning models are not your standard uh, everyday models. People are still learning how to use them, what they're good at, and what they're bad at. So I think that's one of the um, from a data scientist perspective, one of the fun aspects is leveraging uh, someone else spent hundreds of thousands of dollars training these deep learning models, learning what they're good and bad at, uh, and that's something that we've we've really. Uh, uh, applying this, uh, applying the knowledge. Uh, the other one is um, is learning that, or something we know as data scientists is all models are wrong, just some models are less wrong. Um, but especially in our audience of sophisticated um, sophisticated uh, investors, um, accuracy, like quality, high quality matters, and so. Um, one thing we've learned very early on is that we need, even though we leverage models, we need the output to be as close to 100% accurate as we can get. And so we've instituted throughout our processes, sustainability experts look at the results every day, uh, ensure that the models are performing at the highest level of performance. And if not, they uh, get penalized for that. Uh, and so, uh, so I think that's one of the important aspects is the validation process, the human in the loop validation process of the models. Uh, that's something that's intrinsic in our organization. All models are wrong. Some models are less wrong. So Ron mentioned alternative investments and how you're, you're collecting data on private companies. How does that work? And, and how do you 
how are you able to compare how private companies um, would score in ESG and, and what is it the benefit for investors? So I'll take, I'll take the last part first. And that is if you look across the investable universe, more and more assets are flowing into private markets and not even necessarily only ultra high net worth individuals. It's even, it's even going lower in the investment spectrum. And so it, it is an important part of investors' portfolios. So with our integration with eFront, it helps both the public and private markets talk to each other and learn what, what, those, what those aspects are. And that's where I'll hand it over to Ron to focus more on, on how that works. Sure. So uh, I think first starting with we, today we don't collect data on private companies. Uh, our integration with eFront uh, and BlackRock and Aladdin is to allow uh, BlackRock, Aladdin, eFront to compare information eFront has on private companies to public companies. So it allows um, uh, you to say, um, how would this company behave if it were a public company? So you don't collect any data, but you're integrating with eFront. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So are you bringing data in from eFront? Yes, eFront, uh, so data flows within Aladdin. Uh, uh, so we provide the benchmarks uh, and, and, uh, and the ranking of uh, private companies are, are, uh, are um, distilled onto where would they rank uh, if they were a public company. That seems really, really helpful. Exactly. Right, so mo moving on to another use case, you're also working with uh, Adapar. Can you talk about what you're doing with them? Yeah, sure. So with Adapar, it tends to be more of a, a wealth management use case. So it's an advisor's workstation. So what we've integrated there is our ESG impact uh, data set. So they will be able to see and pull in alongside other important metrics that that advisor is used to looking at and explaining to their client. They'll be able to pull in those high-level ESG and ESG total scores across their portfolio. But something that we're working with Adapar on now is what else, what next? We have, we have various solutions, whether it's a focus on climate change, whether it's a focus on values preferences and how that translates into an advisor's portfolio. So I'd say that's just step one, but still um, much, more, much more in the roadmap there. Um, but also happy to go back and share a little bit more about Aladdin as well. Go ahead. We have a couple more minutes. What else do you want to say about Aladdin? Well, I'll just go back to that point of trust and how important getting the data right and transparent builds trust with our clients. I also think Aladdin as our as a very important partner, also an investor in our company, demonstrates a lot of that trust is BlackRock being the largest asset manager, Aladdin being one of the most widely used software across the financial industry. So them entrusting uh, our data into their system, I think, I think speaks volumes. And right now that integration is primarily focused around asset managers. So we are giving them universal APIs across our different solutions. However, it doesn't stop there. We've also integrated widgets that their clients are finding very, very helpful. 
So we have those, those designers in help, house helping translate that as well as template views. So when we think about integration, it's, it's not just here's the data, it's here's how your asset managers and users of your system can better use this data to apply it to their needs. And now we're talking about something that we're really interested in. How can I, if I'm a broker dealer or a or enterprise wealth management firm, what can I do with your APIs and, and, and what can I use them for and what kind of data can I get out of that? Sure. Uh, well, so you can get the data on our universal coverage and then apply that to your point in time decision making. So you can put that up against your other suitability metrics or mandates that you're managing around either a client's specific investment policy statement or a product's mandate. So taking that and integrating, integrating the data, and you can also pull different APIs that are focused, let's say one on climate, say one on UNSDGs, sustainable development goals, and then one on impact, one on risk, as well as regulation. So I know that you, you mentioned we don't have too much regulation in the US. It is alive and strong in Europe and really leading a lot of this demand, uh, both on the asset manager as well as the wealth manager side today already in Europe. So I think that's going to continue to be an important theme for what, what you're able to accomplish through our, our API integrations and our solutions. That's excellent. And um, there was one other use case you guys want to talk about a top 10 global bank. What have you done for them? Sure. I'll, I'll touch briefly on this idea that it's interesting the way that we're integrating because initially it was through our web app and then it was through our APIs through Aladdin and they were using that more in an asset management function. However, we're also talking with them from a wealth management approach and more of a reporting function. So a lot of large organizations today have both types of functions within, within their ecosystem. So being able to flexibly play in those multiple systems and having having the direct integration across the business lines has been has been very helpful. In addition to our partnership with Aladdin in in solving solving their needs. And I know Ron, if you, if you want to chime in on, on that large top ten large global bank, feel free because you you were involved in that. Um, sure, I think the. Um an interesting uh, use case that they had was customization of strategies. So they wanted to, um, they, had val they had an investment strategy that they wanted to uh, implement that involved uh, exposures, uh, exposures to various like weapons manufacturers, uh, cigarettes, alcohol, those kind of values investments. Um, combined with ESG risk and combined with controversies, not wanting to uh, have environmental controversies. And so they set up uh, unique strategies, customized strategies to the, to the uh, goals of their clients. And we're able to do that within, um, uh, within uh, Clarity uh, and apply those strategies. And now they make decisions upon uh, with those strategies. That's excellent. I can see how that'd be really helpful for a lot of their investing and a lot of their, where they're benefiting their clients and helping them build portfolios that more align with their goals. And I think that is all the time we have. Uh, can you guys tell us where people listening can find out more about clarity.ai? 
Yes, you can find us on our website, which is actually clarity.ai, and you can get a hold of us through the website as well as learn much more about what we're focused on and who our clients are and what our solutions are. Great. Guys, thanks so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. According to Lowry, uh, Clarity.ai is more than a sustainable data company. They're taking sustainability expertise and providing it in ways that can be leveraged across different technology integrations and through things like APIs, web apps, or widgets. Clarity.ai has approximately 120 data sources that go into their scoring methodology, which covers over 30,000 different companies. And my third point, uh, Clarity.ai ingests over 100,000 news articles daily, which is impressive via natural language processing, to scan for data on company behaviors and how they relate to what they're tracking. They're also using a method for improving the results of their natural language processing from Facebook called Roberta, which is itself based on LP techniques developed by Google. And these tools allow Clarity.ai to achieve a higher level of accuracy when matching articles with the correct topics, which makes their data in the end more accurate. All right, you did it. You made it to the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Every month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, analysis, links, and a whole lot more. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all again next time. 